Hey everyone, this is George Crows. Really excited you could join us for iMOOC Season 2, Episode 3. Katie Martin and myself were lucky enough to have Matt Arend and Amber Tiemann, two awesome principals from the state of Texas, joining us this week. We talk about engagement versus empowerment, some of the ways they remove barriers for their staff. Relationships is a word that is used often in this episode, which I really appreciate because I think it is such a crucial thing that we do in our schools and it helps us to move forward, you know, even in times of disagreement. So I'm really glad you could have the time to listen to this and I hope you enjoy the episode. Look forward to hearing from you on the iMOOC hashtag. Hey everyone, this is George Kroos. I am uh, really excited. Uh, we have some awesome guests tonight for the third episode of iMOOC. And we are joined by uh, Matt Aaron, Amber Tiemann, and Katie Martin. Uh, we just, uh, just some things that are going on this week. It's been really awesome to see all the blog posts, the connecting, the, the Twitter chat. Uh, this week, we're actually doing a blogging challenge where you do three short posts and uh, share them out. And people have already started uh, hashtagging, you know, a specific blog post for the week. And it, it's been really exciting to see and, and just awesome to, you know, get those quick thoughts. And people that are nervous about blogging, I, I try to say, you know, it's like a tweet, just a little bit longer. And so that might help you to kind of get going. Um, but we're, we're really pumped and excited to have uh, these three awesome people tonight. I'm going to turn it over to Katie and, and, and she will uh, introduce uh, Matt and Amber. All right. Welcome, everybody. Looking forward to a good conversation tonight. And we have two awesome principals. We have, so I'm going to start with Amber and she's going to tell us a little bit about who she is, where she leads, and some things about her school and the community. And then we'll hear from Matt shortly after. So go ahead, Amber, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Amber Tiemann. I'm the proud principal of Witt Elementary in Wiley ISD. Wiley is just outside of Dallas, and I currently have about 650 wolves that I am super excited to spend every single day with. We've been on spring break, and I'm literally, I already know I'm not going to go to sleep tonight because I'm so excited to get back to school and see them. Um, we're a K-4 campus in a mid-sized district, about 17,000 kids. Uh, but my entire district is focused on relationships and empowering students. And so it's the most perfect place ever for me to be. And I'm super excited to be here. Thanks, Amber. And Matt, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, yeah. so my name is Matt Aaron. I'm the principal at uh, Sigler Elementary, which is in uh, Plano ISD. Uh, we are home to just over 400 uh, students that we uh, meet the needs of within our community. Uh, I'm a, at a bilingual campus, uh, so a Title I campus, uh, about 80% of our students qualify for uh, free and reduced lunch. Uh, and in addition to that, then obviously we're working very closely with uh, the parents and the community members uh, that surround our building, trying to establish those relationships with our kids inside the building, but with parents and families uh, outside of the building as well. So uh, we've also been on spring break this week. Uh, like Amber, we are just uh, to the north of Dallas a little bit. So uh, we, our district that I'm a part of in Plano, we serve just over uh, 50,000 students. So a pretty large district. I'm one of uh, almost 50 elementary campuses. Uh, but man, we, we are uh, surrounded with a great staff to meet the needs of our kids. And i um, excited to be here with the iMookers tonight. <laughs> awesome. Well, we are super excited to dig into more of what you guys are doing. And thankfully, you guys have both been participating in blogging throughout the first three weeks. So it's been great to get to know some of your perspectives and what you're doing. 
I have a question for Amber. One of the posts you recently shared, you talked about moving forward and balancing all the things and the innovation. And one thing that really stood out was how you talked about everybody having moved, whether you crawl, whether you walk, whether you run. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that's like in your school? What does it mean for teachers to move forward and how do you set that expectation and the culture? Absolutely. When I came on to WIT two years ago, um, I brought in a technology initiative and it was already a very high performing school. Our test scores were the number one in the district. So there was a very high academic expectation. But unfortunately, I'm not the big test girl. And as, as relevant and important as that is, um, that wasn't nearly as important to me as us kind of creating a, a different kind of culture, one that could still maintain those academic standards, but still also challenge kids and be able to push them further than where we were pushing them. Um, so not only did they get a new principal, but they got technically teaming as their principal. And then I brought in an iPad initiative for the district. So it was really important that they understood that I recognize that they didn't ask for me and that they didn't ask for this initiative or my experiences, but that we were going to move forward together and that all I asked was that they not stand still. So whether it be that they themselves took risks or they allowed their kids to take risks, that they just allow me to walk alongside of them as we move forward as a campus to take some of these chances and do some of the things that I knew that we could do, especially with the foundation that my kids were already coming to me with. So I had veteran teachers who were, you know, able to retire and, and tremble in that line. I didn't want to push them over any cliffs at all. Um, and recognizing how hard my teachers work every single day, I didn't want this to be the breaking point. Um, I really wanted them to know that you're going to mess up. It's not going to work. Your kids are going to make mistakes. Um, parents are going to be upset sometimes, but we're going to get through it together. And so that was just kind of the, the phrase that we use is you can crawl, you can walk, you can run, you can take off on a marathon, um, but you're just not going to get to stand still. So what are some ways that you, I'm sure that there's been some pushback. What are some ways that you've handled some pushback from teachers or some people who were, who wanted to stand still? Uh, recognizing that that wasn't an option was was pretty clear. I'm not a subtle girl, and so that was not something that that they got to do. And and again, it could be baby steps. We started with basic substitution, which again is totally not where we're going to end up. But for the time being, that was perfectly fine for them to to try that first. And then, of course, you have people who are incredible, and I have incredible teachers who took it way further than I ever asked them to. Um, I tried to keep it super organic. I didn't have hard and fast expectations, um, but that literally that we were going to try and we were going to keep talking. We were going to constantly bring this up. It wasn't going to be something that I talked about in August and then maybe in January, but it was a regular thing. Plus, they got to see me and the things that I did just naturally or regularly even. Um, so they knew it wasn't going to go away. So the, That's awesome. Part, part of the reason that um, I asked... Uh, Matt and Amber to join uh, in full disclosure. I'm very good friends with all three people on this uh, hangout. And I think one of the reasons I'm actually good friends with them is because I respect what they do so much. And uh, there's a lot of, it, it's interesting because we've all met, I think uh, through Twitter first. And it's kind of interesting because you're watching groups uh, within the iMOOC community actually connect, you know, through social media first. And then, you know, they make those really powerful relationships um, you know, connected to get to like face to face after the fact. And one of the things that um, I really appreciate about both of you, and maybe Matt, you want to answer this, um, is that 
the state of Texas is is quite fascinating to me because I think there's some really forward thinking, uh, innovative things going on in the schools there. But I all, also will say that um, your your state mandates and stuff like that are mm-hmm. are ridiculous. Like they actually are in many ways there's things that are like you know there it's very heavy testing um you know there's a, a lot of like compliance you know things that you have to do so how do you actually kind of find that way to do like innovative things in your schools while you know like balancing i guess for lack of a better word word um how to actually you know make sure that you're still doing your job based on you know what the state is asking well, I think you, George, you used the word balance, and that's really kind of what it is, is trying to find where that balance is at. But uh, in doing so, you know, it's springtime, it's it's March, when we get back to work and we have interviews started already for upcoming teachers for next year. And I think for me, it's trying to find the teachers that understand where that balance lies. It's not all about testing, and it's not all about just ignoring what we're supposed to be teaching kids. Uh, it's trying to find ways to do both, right? And I think if, if we can find those innovative practices that push our teachers thinking and push us as leaders and how we approach things, our, our kids are going to end up being okay when it comes to that state test at the end of the school year where we don't have to have the, the factory drill and kill test prep, test practice uh, every day, getting kids ready to take a test. Like we want them to be exposed to opportunities and experiences that exist so that when test day comes, they're, they're ready. They're confident. And is there a way that... And one of the things... Sorry, go ahead, Katie. I was just going to say, what you just said um, brought up a post that came out this week from one of your teachers. So we talk, we've, there's been a lot of conversation about innovation being in the lesson and in, in new and better ways of teaching, not something that's an add-on. And something that really struck with me this week was one of your teachers who said they looked at students who was typically seen as a student who might have been seen as lazy, and mm-hmm. instead they... They talked about it as a team and dug deeper. And I mean, that is really an innovative way of approaching how you're dealing with students in different needs. And it struck me that the way that this is not something that's separate, that that's really part of the culture. So, and I think a lot of times that starts with the leader who sets up that culture. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you guys have set up those types of systems to support that type of teaching and learning. Sure. Well, we sit down, we follow a very goofy, convoluted schedule that that allows our time for our teachers to sit down and do just that, just have discussion, right? It's open-ended, non-threatening discussion. Uh, Every grade level has an opportunity to do that once a week, first thing in the morning. So the teachers are fresh. uh, The kids are off in our specials, the PE, the music, and that whole uh, schedule. Uh, but we bring in the, the principals participate, our support staff participates, and it's it's discussing you know what's coming up in the next week as far as instruction is concerned, and then also what you know what concerns do we have, what students needs we're we not meeting, and then it's brainstorming ideas. You know how how do we get the student from point A to point B? And the the example that you brought up is a perfect perfect indicator of hey listen like you're not doing it wrong. There's not a right way to do it. Like let's find a way to do it. For the student that's involved in this, it isn't being successful right now. And one of the things I think that's really important about uh, both Matt and, and Amber is that they they were asked to uh, to do this YouTube live before we even you know put out the schedule to everyone, uh, and that was it. Nobody asked them to actually partake, you know, join the sessions, blog, and they were both doing this. And what I found fascinating is that. Uh, your staff is doing this. So it's kind of the subtle lead by example. I don't think either of you forced 
uh, any of your staff members to join in or anything like this. You just kind of, you know, maybe present an opportunity and you're doing it, but you know, you're not really ever asking people to do things um, that, that you're not willing to do. Now I, I'm really wanted, like, I know both kind of your stories, but I'm sure people like to hear um, both of you are like pretty active on Twitter. You share a lot of stuff through social media. Um, was there like a turning point for you where you saw the value of this, where, you know, it's changed things for you and, and uh, it's really made an impact. Like, have you seen it make an impact on, on your thinking, what you've been doing in your career? Amber, do you want to go first? I can. Um, once upon a time, I had this guy tweet me named George Kuros who said, uh, hey, I read your blog. Do you want to participate in um, this connected principal site that I have going on? I just had a baby, so I was sh- super fired up about adding one more thing to my plate. Um, but literally, once I started doing that and making connections um, through George, I went to my first ASCD conference and the, the people and the connections that I made there, it literally changed the way that I do what I do and not in a, oh my gosh, Twitter made me a better person way, but the people on Twitter and the relationships that I was able to develop there are incredible. And even knowing Matt is through another Twitter friend, Matt Gomez, who connected us for Ed Camp Dallas some six, seven years ago. Um, having access to what I think are some of the smartest people who have done things that I want to do or who are doing things that I should be doing has given me that motivation and that inspiration to kind of keep going. Um, leadership is hard. Being a principal is stressful and having the ability to connect with other people who do what I do um, is amazing. And, and knowing that at any given moment I can talk to George and ask him a question, or I can connect with other principals across the nation or world or connect my teachers, which is even better for me because I taught fourth grade. That's the only thing I taught. Um, kindergarten is a whole separate beast, uh, but now I know some amazing kindergarten teachers. And so it literally allows me to be the very best version of myself. And that's what I want for my kids, my students, my teachers, anyone that comes into contact with me. I just think it's such a powerful, powerful piece. But it did start with George. Yeah, well, that's that's not totally true. That's that's way more credit than I deserve for that. And Matt, well, I want you to share yours too. But let, I want to make something really clear about Amber. Um, the only reason that I asked her to do stuff because she was doing work way before me, and so you saw this. And I think that it's really important to understand that if people are you know wanting to develop these networks. They have to invest time. It's not like somebody will come and, you know, open pathways and Amber kind of made it sound like that. And it's not it's not true. Like Amber and I have become very good friends, but it is her work. It's her, you know, her putting the effort into this that she got stuff out of it. And I think that's, you know, for me, that's one thing that I always notice is um, I was actually talking to um, Alex uh, Leanne Carter and uh, she just changed her Twitter handle and and she's like someone I've been watching doing her work and she puts so much investment into it and those are people that I gravitate towards to be honest with you is people that are doing hard work and you know connecting and so that you know when we talk about Amber she, it wasn't like I just showed her Twitter because I didn't know who she was I just saw her stuff that she was posting before and I think that's really important to understand um, for anyone watching is that this is an investment. And I think that what Amber just said, she's, she's got lots back out of it. So Matt, I would love to hear kind of how you started and what difference it's made for you. Yeah. So it's, it's probably not surprising. The stories are a little bit similar, but on a smaller scale. So I was sitting in a training uh, over the summer and the principal assistant principal at the time that I was with who Amber and I have, have connected through now who works in my district, Stacey Kimbrell, 
she was on her phone doing something. I was like, what, like, what are you, what are you doing on your phone? Well, she was on Twitter. And at that point I had no idea what it was. Uh, so we sat in the training and she was kind of showing it to me and, and like any typical person jumping on Twitter for the first time, like I was following all of the celebrities and the news outlets and the sports people just trying to figure out what it was. Uh, Camp uh, Dallas started and I started to learn how to better network and, and connect with people who had done ed camps before trying to figure it out for the first time. And, uh, you know, got to know Amber a little bit and got to know Matt Gomez a little bit. And that ed camp is really kind of what got me going, uh, as an assistant principal. And I was able to then kind of use that as a platform to share with others. And then my first year as a principal hit, uh, and I think I probably fell off the face of the earth in regards to Twitter because I was trying to figure out how to be a first year principal, uh, and didn't know how to do both. Right. Uh, but my second year I was able to go to second or third year, I was able to go back down to uh, TCEA, which I'd been following some of the educators on Twitter at that point. Uh, and honestly went to TCEA and was like starstruck, like all these people that I'm reading up, reading their blogs and, uh, you know, sharing the articles with people in my building and other pr principals that I know, I start seeing face to face and they, they know who I am and I know who they are. And then you start having these legit, just, conversations about school and about your hobbies because like you've been following each other on Twitter now and, and it takes that whole 140 characters to a, to a new level because you can sit down and have a coffee and have that face-to-face -face conversation with somebody now because that relationship has been established albeit online uh, but the doors are open now right so now you go back to those conferences year after year and the relationships that you have with people are just on a whole new level it's, it's not just about a tweet anymore or it's literally like i'm i suck at this as a principal like how can i be better at this or what am i doing wrong or what can you help me with and then as amber alluded to the connections in with teachers and trying to put teachers in contact with other teachers uh like that, that's awesome we got you know that's that's part of the reason that the culture has changed so much in our building is that i would say now like we're all connected in some capacity and we all have the you know, our bubble that we're in as a district, but at any point you can burst out of that and get the perspective from somebody else. You know, something I hear from both of you, and I think is really important to mention, it's the vulnerability. It's that I don't know everything and I'm reaching out and connecting with people to be better, to learn, to grow. And I think sometimes we get caught up in just like sharing the flashy things and sharing that like all the great things we're doing, which is really important but we don't learn as much if we don't reflect, if we don't ask questions, and we don't truly open ourselves up to learn um, from all of the great people that we connect with. The, the interesting thing about what Matt was saying um, about you know falling off the face of the earth when he started on Twitter, you know, or uh, principalship, that was actually the exact reason I, I went on to Twitter. Uh, I was actually just starting as a principal, and I felt I had no clue what to do. And I think I was a little bit embarrassed to ask people in my own district because I didn't want to look like, you know, I was, you know, way too early to go in my career. So I really, you know, that's when I started uh, connecting with other principals. We started the hashtag CP chat. We started connected principals. And that was Amber was alluding to that because I wanted to see what other principals were doing because there's only one in every school. And it's an extremely isolating position. And I felt you know, I had a, a lot of people, you know, like minds. Um, I want to ask you, I know it's going to be a weird uh, question. I saw this commercial last night. It, it was a Chick-fil-A commercial. And it's actually, I, I wrote about it. I haven't posted it yet. But it was a really interesting analogy. And I cannot believe that, because I never watch commercials. And this one uh, really stuck with me. It was, uh, 
someone was sitting in their office and this uh, woman walks in and the gentleman is standing in a hole and, and she, and she said something about like, what are you doing there? It looks like you're stuck in a rut. And then he goes, Oh, I thought I was in a groove. And, and she goes, classic rut thinking. <laughs> and I was like blown away by that analogy. Like I, I, I could not believe this was like from a Chick-fil-A commercial is that sometimes, and I just thought, you know, sometimes when we're actually looking at what we're doing, we don't know that we are in a rut or actually in a groove, like we're on a good path. And do you have any thoughts about like that? Like, how do you get people, how do you get yourself out of that? Maybe how do you start, uh, helping other people see they might be in a rut instead of a, a groove kind of thing. Any, any ideas there? Matt, you can go first this time. Yeah. I think uh, you, know, you got to have, I guess vulnerability is a great word, Katie, but you've got to have the relationships established with people that will call the spade a spade when you're in that rut and, and not be afraid to hurt your feelings. Uh, and I can, I'll reference the time that I, I met Amber and, and Matt Gomez out uh, for dinner one night and I showed up and, and dude, I was on fire. Like whatever was wrong with the world, it, it was all impacting me. And, and I was a miserable person to hang out with for the night. Uh, and they kind of razzed me a little bit about it. Just that one night? Like, <laughs> just that one night, man. Normally I'm great to be around. Uh, but they straight called me out on it. They're like, dude, what's wrong with you? And I was like, okay, all right, it's, it's, I'm fine. Like not a big deal. But uh, I had to spend a couple of days thinking about like, why did I walk into that place with two great people and, and just kind of unload my stuff on them? Uh, but I was stuck and going through something. And I guess I didn't realize I was stuck until they came back and said, Hey, like, are you okay? Like what's going on? Uh, but I had two people that I trust that uh, felt comfortable enough with me just to say, Hey, you, you kind of need to check yourself, man. Like make sure everything is okay. You know, last year, my first year as principal, I was very purposeful and intentional in isolating myself. And I did that to build relationships and to get to know my staff and to get to know my community. And I purposefully didn't attend any conferences. I didn't take part in anything on Twitter. I didn't blog as much um, because I was really trying to focus on being the very best principal I could be. And it wasn't until probably... March or April when I realized how completely miserable I was um, because I wasn't filling my own bucket. I wasn't doing the things that that did push me out of my rut or that reinforced my thinking or had people that challenged me or asked the questions that needed to be asked because my staff didn't know me yet. They didn't know how I was going to react. And um, after I had spoken to just different principals and Brad Gustafsson and Ben Gilpin, um, we had great conversations about why aren't you listening to your people? These are questions and conversations you could be having with your staff. And I hadn't even contemplated that because I was so busy trying to be the principal that I forgot that I'm also Amber and it is what it is. And what you see is what you get. Uh, when I was able to go back and have those conversations with them and then reestablish myself and started doing the things that, that made me who I am, I think I became a better principal. I think I, I was able to divert that energy and that focus into the people that push and challenge me um, a lot of it, again, challenging, but also reinforcing that I was asking the right questions and that we were doing what we wanted to do. Um, sometimes you need those people in your world. I, I think it's Absolutely. Important. And I was just thinking. Sorry, Katie, go ahead. I was just thinking, if you don't have people who are pushing you, and if no one is, if no one is saying, hey, are you okay? And if, if every, everything you do, people think is wonderful, I think you need to ask the question. 
am I okay? You know what I mean? There's, we need to be able to have people who can put the mirror up because no matter, especially in leadership, in the classroom, whether you're leading a school, there's a, it's challenging. And if you aren't getting that feedback from someone to say like, Hey, things aren't working or have you thought about this? Then I don't know if people are being completely truthful. So I think it is really important to surround yourself with people who not only support you, but also push you and help you think and, re- and help you realize when you're in a rut, that's so important. Well, and I think like, I'm sure that the three of you know my personality and I've done this to all of you because of relationship. Sometimes it's like, okay, I don't care. Just let's go. Right. Like quit whining and just go do what you got to do. And I think that you need those people in your life um, that will push you. And, you know, it's just like, okay, you know, that's, that's tough. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Get over it. Let's move on. And I think that's really important. And I, I, I don't know, like, I think really good leaders, one of the things that I really try to do when um, I looked at who I hired, um, I know it's going to sound weird, but I actually would um, argue with people in my interviews. And I'm not, if you know, like the people in the, the people in the, that doesn't sound weird at all, but it's not a, it's not a normal strategy for an interview, right? You ask your questions, you sit there. And you let them respond, you write your little notes and and that too. And I didn't find that realistic because there's going to be some uh, tension on your staff at some point. And I wanted to see how do people deal with conflict. So sometimes when a person would answer a question, um, I would actually disagree with them, even if I agreed with them to see what they would do and how they would handle it. Because you're trying to actually build a rapport and, and see, are they just going to wilt over and do as you say? Or are they going to challenge you back, you know, and, and do what's in the best interest, you know, even when, you know, they're worried about, will I get this job? And and will they stick up? Will they do what they believe is right? Or will they just do what they think I, what I think is right? And I think that's a really important thing is that I, I want that tension in our staff. I want that there's there's pe- people pushing one another. If everyone just agreed with me as a principal, and but then complained behind my back, that's not a good culture that I've created, right? You want those, and I, I do this in my sessions all the time. I'll say, if you disagree with me, you got to do it in the room. Don't do it after the day when I'm gone because it's useless to everybody. And so, like, how do you guys create that tension where, you can have those open conversations in pursuit of doing what's best for kids where people are not offended or upset that you've disagreed with them. I think for me, it has been based on the relationship. I mean, once I've gotten to know people and they've gotten to know me and seen how I'm going to handle things or how I'm going to process things, I'm an activator. That's my number one strength, which means I'm a get up and go kind of girl. Um, I have to be surrounded by processors. I have to be surrounded by people with systemic thinking because I'm just going to just keep going until someone makes me pause. Um, and so I, I try to preface so many things this year with, so help me understand, or what I'm hearing you say is, or tell me more about. And so being intentional with the way I present conversations and allowing them to have that feedback. Um, great example, a couple of weeks ago, we are in the middle of this Jane Richardson guided reading thing. And I needed some accountability. I needed to know that my teachers were completing these lesson plans, which were tiresome and a burden, and I get it. But I also needed to see that the steps were being done the way that we want to see them done. And so I threw out a solution and just kept going. And two of my team leaders came down and were like, hey, can we can we talk about this? Can we see if there's not another way that we can do this? Because what you've asked us to do is fine and we'll do it. But there's a really great way we could do it like this. And I was like, 
awesome. I love it. A, they disagreed with me. They came down to my office. They had a better solution. I was like, yes, you girls have just saved everyone's stress and drama just from having the bravery to come down and be like, mm, team and tap the brakes. Cause sometimes I need to do that. And it was awesome. And I know that that wouldn't have happened year one. Cause there were definitely things that people disagreed with me about not in front of me. Um, but year two, that's the kind of, that's where we're at. And I just, I love it so much that my people have trusted me through this process and letting me got better at what I'm doing to where now that's going to make us all better. Cause I have never, ever claimed to be the very best principal. I need some accountability. Amber, so I, I love that because so often we think of, <laughs> sorry, George, that's okay. um, the leader has to be the one who has all the answers, right? And whether we know that's impossible, but still that like mentality persists. And I actually started my first year as a director the same year you start last year. And so kind of that same thing, learned a lot about leading people and, and having a team. And I knew that things had shifted when I could say to everybody, can you help me figure this out? And we all could come with a better solution. They knew way more about how to solve the problem than I could, than I knew or that I was able to do on my, my own. So it's really important to be able to ask and to be able to really truly want to hear feedback. What's, what's one of the and hardest things? my number three. <laughs> one, of the, one of the hardest things is a principal coming in is, is developing that trust with folks, right? And then that, that two-way trust so that they feel comfortable coming to you and saying, hey, this is a terrible idea or, or hey, we need more time with this. Uh, not my ideas, just in general, George. No, I um, love that. I, you need to be able to say that sometimes, right? You do, right? But I don't, I don't know that everyone feels like they can uh, in education, right? Like, But if as a leader, if you are intentional about trying to cultivate those relationships with people, which is my number one strength. I'm a relator, by the way. Um, like that can happen and people can feel comfortable coming to you and saying those things. But I tell you, there's one article that I love that I share with everyone that I talk to when it comes to this being in an elementary school, like we are kid gloves all of the time, right? Like hearts on your sleeve, like you want to do the right thing for kids. And I think that's great from a kid centered approach. But when you start working with adults, then like you still have your kid gloves on. And when you start having conversations about ideas that need to be tweaked or things didn't go well, like we're afraid to hurt people's feelings. And the, there's an article and I've got to pull it up here by uh, Robert Evans. It's called getting to know uh, and getting to N O. And it talks about trying to develop this culture of congeniality and moving it to collegiality, uh, which is great. We, we shared with our leadership group early on uh, in a summer retreat, and it's been referenced several times since then. But hey, remember the article that we read? Like, it's not about your feelings. It's not about me coming to you thinking you're a bad person. Like, this, this is what's best for kids. And having just that difficult, crucial conversation, whether the principal is involved in it or not, about what the best practice is that we need to be doing for children. So this that's a perfect segue. I'm going to go into some of our questions, Matt. And I think that this conversation, when we talk about relationships and how important they are in education and innovation specifically, a lot of times relationships, it's like, being nice to everybody, caring about everybody, loving everybody, which is true. But sometimes there are points when you have to push back, when you have to disagree and where you have to take off those kid gloves to really get to a place mm -hmm. of better teaching and learning. So talk a little bit about, um, and Amber, we can go back to you, a little bit about relationships and why it's so important to have these relationships to create a culture of innovation and to really see things that are new and better in our schools. You want me to talk about that one? 
Go ahead. Okay. Or uh, George, anybody jump George in. Talks about it in the book when he said it's far easier to trust someone when you have a relationship with that person. And if if my teachers don't know me and can't trust me, then admitting a mistake or taking risks, that's the very foundation of what they're going to do. One of my teachers this week messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, I'm trying this flipped video thing. You can either stay away because it might be a disaster or you can come in because it might be a disaster. I'm not real sure where it's going to go. And I went in and she's a second grade teacher who is not super techie. And she was taking this chance of creating this fractions video um, to help explain it to her parents. One of my third grade teachers had her kids create this expository explanation from, again, it goes back to our test. But again, I won't be constrained by the academic expectations that we still hold very, very, um, are very valid. Uh, But again, there are different ways that you can still be innovative in that box, but not if there's not a relationship. If my people are scared that evaluatively I'm going to judge them when things don't go well, then they're never going to take those risks. They're going to keep doing what they've always done and just make sure my kids score high on tests and everybody's going to be a winner. And that's just not how I operate. Um, So I've been super impressed with the fact that once they've gotten to know me and me hear me say, please fail, please mess up, please take some chances, take some risks, because I want to see you do it. And and I'm also the queen of falling down or running into walls or chasing kids and falling down at recess. Like, it's not as if I am this example of perfection that they have to look to at all times and are worried that that they're going to see, I'm going to see them fall because I literally fall down. Literally. Um, so they, they've gotten to know me and, and are able, luckily, to trust that I, I want to see that happen. But it's all, it all starts with a relationship. Yeah, and I think that's like, it's interesting because you talk about that in your school setting, which obviously, you know, we're all talking about. But um, it actually triggered something in me. And, and I think it's kind of important to actually talk about, especially in these spaces, um, is that that relationship it's not just it's all wonderful, right? There are sometimes challenges. There's sometimes, you know, pushback. There's sometimes this stuff too. But um, I actually notice sometimes, you know, when I post something, um, some people, all they do is disagree with me. That's all they do. And to be honest with you, after a while, I just mute them. I don't even know what they're talking about. And I actually have no interest because if you can't actually acknowledge stuff that I'm doing uh, that is good, and all you do is focus on uh, things that you disagree with me. It's it's kind of showing that, you know, there's something more than the idea that they're going after. Or I would not be comfortable with someone uh, teaching my students where they only criticize them. Right. And I think that's a really important aspect online, too, is that, you know, um, I, I'm really big. I, I try to go out of my way to like comment and be positive and people say, uh, you know what, it's like a big echo chamber. And, and I actually think there's a lot of teach. Like, I don't think an echo chamber is necessarily a bad thing in some ways, uh, because I think a lot of teachers may be isolated in their schools and they have the exact opposite feeling of an echo chamber. They feel they're all alone. They're the only person doing that. And they actually go online, not just for ideas, but for relationships with people um, that are pushing their thinking because, you know, they might be the only one in their school or their organization that feels is doing it. And so um, that relationship piece is crucial online and offline. And it's kind of interesting because, and Matt, maybe you want to talk to this um, because I've seen you, um, I know you I, like from what I know about you, I know you do you you spend time with your teachers, you're, you're very well connected with your kids. I'm seeing a lot of things you tweet about, but I also see you connect with your teachers <clears throat> online. And does that actually, you know, uh, help, you know, with the face to face stuff? 
Yeah, you know, connecting with them online uh, allows you to see like the the different side of them while they're working, right? Like there's so much that goes into our jobs between the hours of, you know, 7.45 and 2.45 when the kids are there. But I think we forget, like we all walk out of that building at the end of the day and we're all going home to our, our spouses, our children, our lives outside of school that are just as busy, as are just as stressful, uh, sometimes more so. Uh, so having those relationships with folks that you can cross that divide of, hey, we're in school, but now I know you're home and you have a sick child and I can send you a text and say, hey, I hope you, I hope your daughter's okay. You know, I'm sorry to hear about your grandfather passing away. Just those little nuances of like, that's being a person, right? Like that's being just a compassionate person that the teacher walks back into the building the next week and knows that, Hey, like my principal wants me to be a great teacher, but they care about me as a person also. So, you know, when you do have to go have that difficult conversation, like you can sit down and that teacher knows that, all right, he's not here to belittle me. He's not here to try to make me feel like I'm a bad teacher. Like he's here to make me better. And I know that because he cares about me, not just as a teacher, but the whole person. And that's actually a, a, a concept that I talk about in the book quite a bit, Matt, is that um, the idea of that time that you're talking about those teachers um, and, and you're getting to know them on a personal level, the, the staff that you serve, that's an investment. It's not an expenditure that when they know that you care about them as a human being, uh, they, they, they tend to go further. Uh, then, then if you're just, you know, they're just do, do your job kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that's a really big investment. So um, I'm going to go to the next question. And uh, we're, we're talking about, um, and I'm, I'm, hopefully both of you are kind of familiar with this concept that I talked about quite a bit, um, the idea of classroom teacher versus school teacher. And just if you're listening, you, you've never heard this concept or not at this point in the book. Um, one of the things I talk about is the idea of classroom teacher, you know, is really about all of their kids um, in their class, who they teach at that time. Um, but when they walk out of their room, that it's not my problem. And, and a, a lot of times, I'll be honest, with you, a lot of the times those teachers are the ones who send kids to the office for, you know, very minor things. They don't seem to do this. And the school teacher, um, you know, they're, they're very good at what they teach. You know, they're great. But when they walk out of their classroom, every kid is their child in that school. So how do you guys see that concept? What do you do to kind of, and I'm assuming, I'm making the assumption that obviously you're looking for those school teachers that, you know, see their, themselves, they're a part of a bigger community. So um, from any three of you, any things that you do to like, you know, stoke that, what you look for when you hire, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I think Matt and I both have different ways of owning our our campus story and what we share out. His Sigler account on Snapchat is pretty amazing. And there's no way to ever make the assumption that he doesn't know what's going on on his campus as an administrator, just from following um, their tweets or his snaps or, or things of that nature. You know that, that he's involved in every classroom. Um, one of the things that I brought to WIT, we have a collective hashtag now. And it's something that my teachers have embraced. It's something my parents have embraced. And the hashtag we are wit is one where at any given moment without any, again, regulation or um, hard and fast expectation, they're sharing it. And it's pretty awesome to see what they value and what they want to share. It also allows me to point out all the awesome things that are happening in, in creating our story in these spaces where our people are is just so critical and so important um, because we are wit and, and my fourth graders are so successful because my kindergarten team is amazing. And my music teacher 
is phenomenal and just ridiculous in all her, her ways that she brings out the kids who are unsuccessful in class or, or struggle with academics, but yet they can sing like nobody's business. And she highlights those kids and just makes them feel so important. Um, we do a really good job, I think, of, of owning that we are wit because I make it very clear that our, our accountability standards are high and my standards are high. And it's not something that I can achieve alone and it's not something that they can achieve alone. It's something we all have to do together. That point is so critical that like you can't do it alone, that it's all about coming together as a community. It's all about how we work together and kindergarten teachers getting ideas from fourth and fifth grade teachers. And I think that when you create that community, it's such a different mentality than the teachers who are saying, I have to get all these things done and my kids have to be able to capitalize and punctuate their sentence perfectly. Otherwise, the teacher in second grade is going to think I didn't do my job. That is an example of a, a community and a culture where you're a school, where you're a classroom teacher, where you're just focused on your kids and looking good to somebody else, not that you have that um, collective eff- efficacy and really are in this together and all kids are shared. I think there, there's two things that I'd highlight that we tried to be intentional about. And the, the first one, Amber alluded to our, our uh, social media accounts at Sigler, like our, our teachers, all of our grade levels have Twitter accounts. So like my, it makes my job so much easier because I can hit the retweet button on things that I see that are happening. If I'm not in there to able to capture it live, uh, our, our teachers have completely embraced this, the idea of whether we're sharing it for our parents to see or for other grade levels to see, or for schools that are outside of our bubble. Like we want to share the great things that are happening. But to George's question about trying to cultivate that mentality of like, I might teach fourth grade, but I'm, I'm still the school teacher. And I want to know what the kindergartners are doing. We, if, if your schools were anything like Sigler was when we started this beginning of this year, like kids will show up early and they'll sit in the gym before they go to class and they all sit in the traditional grade level lines. Right. So all the fifth graders are in the fifth grade line, the third graders are in the third grade line, and they're just hanging out with, with their grade level buddies before the bell rings and then they go to class. So we kind of flipped the script on that and we put all of the kids at Sigler into uh what we call CASA groups. And it's an acronym for creating and supporting amigos. So when they go into the gym in the morning, they all have a, a house group that they sit with. So in the house groups are made up of kids in, in grades kindergarten through fifth grade. So there's a, a grade level student in each of the groups. So we've got like 40 different groups in the gym, but all the kids are getting to connect with kids in different grade levels. And our, our older kids are being role models for the younger kids and younger kids are getting to see what happens, you know, at the other side of the building with the older kids. But then once a month, each group has an adult assigned to it. Uh, so regardless of what grade level you teach, you're going to get a collection of kids that are in every single grade level. And we spend time once a month just connecting with our little group of kids so that when you're at an assembly or you're walking kids to the bus at the end of the day or you're walking to lunch, chances are one of your one of the students in your group is going to see you as the adult walking down the hallway and have another connection with someone they didn't have before. It could be a child you may have in your class one day. It could be a student that you used to teach. Uh, but the relationships have developed uh, even more so than they had in the past because we, we take time specifically to connect with the kids that aren't in your grade level that aren't in your classroom. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask this question. Um, that was so mind blowing, right? Like, <laughs> I was it's just like I could I was like should I tweet this? Should I tweet this? So I'm gonna ask this question. Um, we're gonna talk about the notion of engagement versus empowerment. So when you're looking at your schools, um, and Amber, I think you gave some really good examples talking about teachers using, you know, different elements of their classroom, but they're still teaching curriculum, 
right? How do you actually move to that point where you're empowering uh, students? One of the things I tell my teachers is that very rarely when I walk into a classroom, am I ever looking to see that all 22 of your kids are doing the same thing at the same time. And whether it be a high learner or a low learner, there are opportunities, especially with technology, for them to be able to be empowered and to try something different. Um, I think it's very overwhelming for teachers to think about technology integration or student empowerment, student engagement, and think that, how am I going to handle this? I don't even really know what I'm doing, but you want me to let my 22 um, third graders just take control and run with it. Uh, and I don't, it's not my expectation, but I do want you to let them try. I had two kids in my fourth grade class who I still luckily have contact with today, Tyler and Christopher, and I called them Tylefer and they did everything first for me from getting Dr. Pepper to telling me to update my lipstick to trying anything that we wanted to do in our classroom. And Tylefer would then go out and teach other kids and if my number 22 never got to it, then that was fine because, you know, one through 14 may have gotten to it one week. Um, but letting them know that that you don't have to to take these things that are so far out of the realm of what you're comfortable with in order to have innovation, you you just can let one or two at a time. And the more comfortable you get, the risks that my teachers are taking this year, they never would have done if they hadn't seen success with it last year. So they know that there's value in the things that I'm asking or exposing them to, um, allowing them to see other campuses and other students that are taking these risks. And again, it's not forsaking curriculum. It is doing it, what is that quote, George, from Yang Zhao that you reference all the time? Let that be your floor and not your ceiling. Um, but that they can allow one or two kids to take these chances, whether it be the super highest learner or the one that you absolutely can't connect with, why wouldn't you empower that kid to connect with your curriculum on a deeper level? Uh, and so I just really try to encourage them at any given moment, let me walk in and see controlled chaos. Let me see everyone doing something different based on either their strengths or the things that you know are going to engage them. So that's kind of what we're trying to do. That's great. Matt, what are what's your thoughts about empowerment versus engagement? Sometimes people just kind of are striving for engagement, but I think George really pushes us to think differently about empowerment is the end goal. Thoughts or yeah, somehow you guys work on that at your school? Yeah, so uh, that is something that George challenges us to do. And I would say that's that's somewhere that, that we are headed uh, moving away from the engagement and really trying to focus on how do we get the kids to, our, our model last year was own it. So how do we get the kids to own really what they're doing in the classroom and us as teachers trying to step away from having to be the person asking all the questions and providing all the insight and just being comfortable letting the kids kind of figure it out along the way. Uh, we started the, the balance between that, right? And I love what Amber said, like not every child in the classroom has to be engaged in the empowering activity all at the same time. I mean, pick pick the level as, as the teacher, pick a level that is comfortable enough for you to make kind of move your cheese a little bit and go and begin there. And that's your starting spot. And then as you can continue to evolve, like more kids, more kids can come along with it. You start sharing with teachers and what's taking place. And I tell you, that's the that's where your money's at for me is that when teachers can start talking to teachers about the empowering and engaging activities they're doing in their classroom then you know you've made it and you're not the principal trying to convince the teachers to do it anymore. Like, Hey, have you talked to Susie down the hall? Because Susie's killing it with this. And I think it's really what you're trying to do. And then teachers start talking and then kids can start collaborating across grade levels on projects and across the hallway on projects. And th then, you know, you're on your way. That's awesome. Absolutely. Collaboration. And when the ideas are from everybody, 
So we're going to move on to some questions. Some um, of our iMookers have questions that they're putting up on Twitter. The first one is from Jim Windish. Hope I said that right. His Twitter handle is at teacher with tuba, as in the music instrument, T-U-B-A. And he's asking both Amber and Matt, how do you balance student privacy with sharing on social media? I can go first, Matt. Um, luckily, my district is an opt-out district, so they automatically opt in. And if they want out, they have to opt out. Again, I have over 650 kids, and I think I have less than one handful of students who can't share. And one of the reasons that that's true is because I call every single one who opts out. Anyone who chooses to opt out, I call and have a, a personal conversation with as the building principal and say, I don't think you understood. See, what I want to see happen is this, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to highlight your kid, and this is what I want to share, and this is such an opportunity. And they inevitably, again, always say, oh, wait, is that what you meant? Okay, then that's fine. For those five, they don't get left out. Um, we are able to then, you can put emojis, emojis over their face, or you can use their backs, or you can use their work samples, or you can do all kinds of different creative things. Sometimes I think that that's an excuse. I hear that a lot from teachers. They're like, oh no, my district, we're not allowed to share anything about your kids. You can still talk to me about what you're doing. You could still blog about your professional journey or your trials, your tribulations. Um, but that's an easy way to shut down the conversation whenever you say, oh no, student privacy, we're not allowed. Because I think that you have just as much to share as a grown-up professional that doesn't have to have permission as sometimes you can showcase in your students' faces. Well, I think that's a really important point, Amber. And there is sometimes that when I was principal that there was like an amazing story about a student. And all it took was me asking a parent, like, is this okay? Right? Like, are you okay with me posting your child's name, you know, a picture? And it was like they got on TV, right? The same way like we would have celebrated if we were in the newspaper when we were kids or on television. Like it was an amazing experience. I think those conversations are crucial. And, and I actually, uh, I don't think that the question was intended this way, but I do know a lot of people when they ask privacy, they're asking that question to put up a roadblock to not do stuff not actually, you know, like they're like, oh, privacy though, right? And I think one of the things that's really important uh, that to understand is that I don't care if you have parent consent, that's great. If you don't ask the kid, I, like you can't put it up there. So the thing is, even at the kindergarten grade one level, if you have consent from parents to post pictures online, to share videos, to do whatever, you still need to ask the kids. Now, the pushback I've got on this, and, and it's fair, is that the students don't actually totally understand the consequences of sharing something so openly with the entire world. And, and you want to explain, even if you explain it, they might not totally understand. Um, but the, the reason why I say that's really important is because you model the kids, ask permission. You don't just start videoing and post someone online to share this. So I think that when, when you're talking about the notion of privacy, um, you, you want to make sure that people are understanding this. This is always with consent uh, of, you know, the people involved, the parents and the kids, uh, because they're doing this. And especially when you're having, uh, you know, you're going to school level. Dean Tresky, and this is a post you wrote years ago. Um, it really tweaked my thinking and, and it really opened some doors, you know, in what I thought. Uh, he talked about a student in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Literally, that's what it's called, Moose Jaw. Now, you being from the United States, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. And if you have, it's because you know Dean Tresky. It's probably the only reason you may have heard of this, right? It's a very small community. And there was actually a, a baseball player. Um, who wanted to, you know, go to the next level. And 
what is fascinating because he lives in such a small area, he wants his name out there. He wants his name to to get recognition because that will open up doors for him. So part of it, too, is that, you know, what happens when we have our kids wanting this and it's beneficial to them? Are we having those conversations, too? Right. Like we're not posting where they live and their address and things like that. And I think, you know, there's a difference between, you know, what is private, um, you know, private information between like posting things online. So I don't know if you guys want to build upon that or challenge me or anything like that. I think it's a relative point. I think that's one of the beauties is the the principle of being so active on social media is that the kids know you're doing it and it gives us a platform to show them how to use it in an appropriate way, right? Uh, Listen, I'll I'll be the first one to tell you, do I always ask the children for permission to post their picture? No, Uh, but they know I'm taking it. And the first question they ask me afterwards is like, are you going to put that on Twitter? Is that that video going to go on YouTube? Um, And that like, well, do you want it to? Because is that okay? I'll ask that sometimes and other times like they can't wait to go home and get on YouTube and see the video that they have, they might be in uh, to demonstrate to their parents and what they're doing at school today. So I respect that. And I think that's a, that's a novel place to want to get to and start acknowledging the fact that, Hey, I'm taking pictures of you as a child. Or it's your work. Like, you know, are you cool with it being out there? I, w- I would say at the elementary level, the larger percent of them probably would be which makes that a real easy question to ask. Uh, going back to what Amber said, I would say that the the permission piece from parents were in a very similar position, but I think that speaks to a leader's ability to demonstrate and showcase what, what the purpose is for it at the campus level and how we're trying to sped, spread this message of like, what does our campus stand for? Not only to our parents, but to our community. And if you can get out there and share your story at the community level, so people that don't go to WIT or don't go to Sigler know what y'all stand for without having even stepped in your door yet. Like that's the purpose. And if I can have your child or you as a parent be a part of that, like you'd have a hard time convincing me that's not something we want to be doing. Uh, but if there's a small percentage of parents that don't want to be a part of that, then man, we respect that. And we find creative ways, like Amber mentioned, to still include their children in the opportunity. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really important point, Matt, is that, is that like the one, the one thing I would always say is that if you choose your child not to be online we will respect that and still deliver high quality education but the thing is there are some parents who want their kids online myself included that are you're helping my child understand this and so part of that is you have to ensure you're doing both options not using it as an argument to not do something and i think sometimes that's really if we really dig deep into it some people are actually using that argument to not do it um, the last question we're going to take um, is from Sig Drucker at Sig Drucker, um, and he talks about this. And I'll, and I'll, I have my thoughts on this too, but I'll, I'll let you guys go first. Um, couldn't engagement breed empowerment? And this is actually one of the the big challenges in the book. And, and I have some thoughts on this, but I would love to 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 get your your thoughts on this idea as well. Say it again. Couldn't engagement breed empowerment? I think it could. Amber, go ahead. I think you were going to go. Oh, no, I wasn't. I was just asking the question. You go ahead. I I think it could, depending upon what the topic and level of interest was to said engagement or empowerment. But for every opportunity that that one individual who could be empowered through the engagement, like I could sit down and give him a worksheet tomorrow over something that he's not interested in, and he could still be engaged in it because that's the type of student he is. Like he, He wants to do what his teacher wants him to do. So he'll be engaged, but that that 
level of engagement will not lead to empowerment. I think that you have to start. I think sometimes I see. (laughs) Go, Katie, go. Go, Katie, go. Sorry. Well, just real quick, I think that for me, a lot of times I see engagement as um, when people say, oh, their kids are so engaged, doesn't look great, either with it's a device Mm -hmm. or all their hands are raised or they all have a poor response. And I think that that level of engagement or quantifying engagement in a way that we just have all kids talking or looking doesn't actually mean that they're engaging with content or they're thinking or they're doing something that's really meaningful. And I think so for me, the shift from just having engagement as the um, as the goal to really being empowerment is thinking about how they're taking their learning, how they're making sense of it and doing something with it that is really about them as a learner versus them just paying attention in class. Which goes to my point, which is that could also just be compliance. Engagement can be mm-hmm. compliance. And if my kids are doing what I ask them to do and are Again, that controlled chaos, you can have loud stations, loud groups, and they all look engaged, but that doesn't necessarily equal empowerment. And, and to me, I think those are, are separate because I want, I want it to be what we do, not something that you do when I walk in or when something is happening or when we have an event. I don't want to have to ask you to use this hashtag um, on this day for the situation. Like our people know that that's just what we do. This is how, how we're going to go about. We are wit. That's how we share. And my thought, my thought on this too is that the the bar is empowerment, that it's ownership. And sometimes uh, in schools you need compliance. I, I'm not pretending that doesn't exist. Sometimes I need you to to pay attention, understand this. Uh, but where we're we're headed is empowerment. And the the easiest way that I make this uh, connect it, this connection is that. If you are engaged, it doesn't mean you're empowered, but if you are empowered, you're already engaged. It's not that they're separate things. It's that there's a connection between between them and it's it's raising that bar. And how do I have ownership? And and I always say to people is that nobody in this room is interesting, is as interesting as YouTube. And if you want engagement, you could throw a kid on YouTube all day and they'll be engaged, but it doesn't mean they're learning anything. It's how you get them uh, to have ownership over the learning. So um, we're going to finish it off. Uh, I ask, I'm going to ask uh, all three of you, and I'll start with Amber and Katie. We'll go Amber, and then Katie, and then Matt. Um, what is one thing uh, after this conversation you suggested people do? Just one thing. So we'll start with you, Amber. I think, and I, I blogged about this recently, is, is never underestimate the power of, of building up people and, and focusing on their strengths. I just finished a couple of books by Sean Aker um, talking about the happiness advantage, and he spoke a lot to the power of, of building up people and focusing on strengths to have higher achievement, higher engagement, higher ownership of what we do. And I think sometimes as administrators or even teachers, you can get bogged down in what you have to do. And I think that you need to take advantage of all the things that you can do. I could pick apart every single class every single day if that was my goal, but it's not. My goal is to engage my people and make them want to come back tomorrow and be even better. Um, So focusing in on the power of your people and taking advantage of their strengths because they're there. They were hired for a reason. Love it. Um, I think my one piece of advice would be back to the conversation about um, the rut versus is, is ask for feedback. Ask somebody who you work with, ask a friend, ask a colleague for feedback about how you're doing and what you could improve and sincerely listen and be open to what they're saying. Yeah, so as I was getting ready for this, reading through the book a little bit and just the conversation tonight, I think my big takeaway or I guess nugget to share is that 
I, as the principal, am constantly asking teachers about the input and getting ideas or clarifying details or getting my, getting them to help me with some details. I don't know how that transfers to the classroom, right? Like, and I'm thinking already, like for next August, as we sit down with teachers and talk about, hey, what are some things that you want to do in your classroom? Which which sounds great coming from a principal to a teacher, and it gets the teachers thinking, but really, like that answer only gets us so far or the teacher that needs to take it back to the student and ask the student the same thing. Like, what do you want to be doing in my classroom this year? And then how can I make that happen for you? Still with all the learning that has to happen, but through the outlets that can be available to the kids, how can I as the teacher? And I, I appreciate all your thoughts. Uh, I'm going to build on one thing Katie said, and then we'll uh, just kind of end the show. Um, Katie uh, acknowledged the getting feedback. And I think, what is really important just to kind of add on to what Katie said is get feedback from people who will actually give you feedback, not who will just praise you. Uh, if you actually look in the acknowledgements, Katie is actually acknowledged in the book uh, because uh, every chapter that I wrote, I actually sent to her and I said, you know, like, tell me what's wrong here. Tell me this. And I don't need no, I don't need a sandwich. I don't need the positive, negative, positive sandwich because the thing is, What's in the middle of the bread is what the sandwich is called, right? And so, you know, if you think about that, you know, the, that's the meat. And I, I just need you to tell me how it is. And I actually think it helps me. So um, when you ask for feedback, like there's a difference between asking for feedback and asking for praise. And make sure that you find those people who will give you legitimate feedback to help you become better. So um, I really want to thank all of you for participating Uh Matt and Amber, uh, I really appreciate all the work you do uh, with your school, with your students. And I know that um, both of you are never satisfied, uh, but you are very positive that you keep pushing your people forward and you help them. And I think that's a really important aspect is that, uh, you know, you can be happy but not satisfied and, and keep pushing people forward. Like there is no end goal uh, to learning and we can always get better, not because we're bad, but you know, because we can get uh, better. And that's a Dylan William quote. I think that's really quite powerful. So um, I want to thank you for uh, watching tonight. I look forward to reading your posts and uh, seeing those short posts. I think it'll be a good experience for people that participate in it. Thanks for joining. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Have a wonderful night. And great week. Good night.